Welcome to Manalyzing. In this episode, I'm interviewing Howard Little. He's a good friend of a good friend of mine. So Howard came over, and he did that at some cost to himself physically, and he gave. Nobody knows pain and difficulty and physical issues and the emotional issues that come with them and the fears. Uh, nobody knows all of that more than Howard. Despite it all, Howard, who could choose to be bitter, who could choose to feel sorry for himself, who could choose to ask and allow others to feel sorry for him, he wants none of that. Here's a man who chooses, instead, to laugh. I admire that from him. He's not burying it, he's choosing it. Here's the interview. I haven't talked like this about this ever. So. <laughs> Hey, welcome to Manalyzing. This is where men talk about the kind of stuff that men don't talk about. Put your hard hat on, get ready for a ride. Here we go. Okay, let's do this. Welcome right. to Manalyzing. Howard Little. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Tell me about your life. I um, developed prostate cancer. It was, uh, I wanted to increase my life insurance for my wife. And they said, oh, go get, in the, I have to get a um, physical. So I went and got a physical. And when we got to the prostate exam portion, which is never fun for any man. Nope. My doctor, all of a sudden, his, his whole demeanor changed. It was really kind of odd. And, and he, he said, you need to go downstairs and take a blood draw and tell him it's for a PSA test. And I went, yeah, okay. I didn't think anything about it, just went down, because I'd done blood draws a lot. Because I, I did the Army Reserve, too, for six years as a broadcast journalist in, in New York and then in Utah in the middle of all this. And so I went down. Cell phones were just coming out. Right. And it rang, and it said, please hold for the doctor. And that's never good when you hear that, please hold for the doctor. Right. Christmas Eve day, and I thought, oh, they're working today. And he gets and he said, I need you to go see a urologist tomorrow. And I go, tomorrow's Christmas. And he said, oh, okay, then the day after tomorrow. And I go, what's a urologist? What, you know, I'm thinking, what's wrong with my urine? You know, that's what I was thinking. I hadn't even thought about a urologist, you know. Uh -huh. I'm 47. He said, it looks like you've got cancer, prostate cancer. And I went, what? I'm 47. That's old man cancer. I'm 47. I was still playing competitive basketball at 47 years old. Right. And uh, I'm like, Okay, he set it all up. I went, get a biopsy, and it turned out that the biopsy, they called it a Gleason score, Gleason scale, and one being benign, and, and then it goes up to 10, and if it's 10, you you better start digging a grave. Mine was 8.5 oh, on a Gleason score, and so I'm immediately looking for options. My urologist told me there's different options you can take, and I was looking, and I was on the, I was on the internet, and the odd thing about the internet thing is, is when you start looking for prostate stuff, all of a sudden you get a lot of porno coming at you, and I was like, really? great, yeah, it's surprising. I was like, okay, get rid of that, get rid of that, because I really didn't want the side effects that they were talking about, you know, uh, not being... I don't, this is the, you know, you get this, and, and the other options I was getting was saying that, oh, I'm going to not be able to have sex anymore in the rest of my life. You know, I'm 47. Wow. 
Yeah. And they're telling me that. And I'm like, okay. That alone is like, shoot me now. Yeah, exactly. So I'm frantically looking for some better options. Uh-huh. And, but I'm, I'm going in to register, to, you know, to, when you go in the first time in the hospital. I'm, I, I go, I start to go up to the, the kiosk or whatever you call it, the desk to register at. And I stopped. I couldn't go. I couldn't go. I started, all of a sudden it just hit me really hard. And, and thank goodness my wife was with me. She just took me by the arm and walked me up and helped me get registered to have it done. And she was with me the whole step. The funny thing is, you know, this treatment is they take a big PV, PCV pipe. That's what I call it. PVC cut, pipe, yeah. Yeah, they cut it in half. You lay in it. This is, what, this is the procedure to get ready to go. They fill it with goop with your body, and then it solidifies so that every time you go in there, it's a mold to your body, and you just stay there. So you can't move because if you move, you're going to get zapped in places you don't want to get zapped. And they do a they do a mold of your prostate, uh, and so it takes a little while just to get all set up. And so, and they had three chambers. They treat 250 guys their year. I was 18 years younger than the next guy getting treatment. Uh. You know, so I was like, oh yeah, this really is old man. Um, so. Uh, to get treatment, a couple of funny little things. Well, one, one of the nurses that I never saw again, thank goodness, she, when I was checking in and going through this process, said, well, isn't it comforting to know what you're going to die of? And I went, uh, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's probably not the right thing to say, whether you're a nurse or anybody else. Yeah, I, yeah, it's like, okay. Um, but then... So you go through this. My wife went through everything. They go, well, the wives don't, aren't normally here. She goes, I'm with him wherever he goes. And that's my wife. You have the right woman. I do. And, uh, oh, but I made a mistake here. Okay, now this is a, this is a man mistake. Okay, man mistake coming okay. up. <laughs> Within the process, uh, I was talking, right now, talking to some other guy who was getting it on his brain. He had a brain tumor, and he was getting proton therapy on the brain tumor. And I said, yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm going. Catherine was right there, and I said, "Yeah, yeah, I'm. I'm doing proton therapy for my uh, prostate. So yeah, that's what I'm doing." And she goes, "You, just you, you're the one going through this." And I went, "Oh crap! No, we're both going through this." She had to go through it as much as I had to go through it, and I kind of discounted her. Uh-huh. And uh, that was that was not the smartest thing that I did during this whole process. <laughs> and. Uh, because it, you find out that it's, it's really hard on the caregiver as well. Oh, yes. So anyway, the first treatment, I'm lying there. They, you, you wear your gown, you're naked, and you wear your gown opposite. So it's open in front. Mm-hmm. And you crawl inside your tube, and, and they give a little towel over your genitals. Uh-huh. And the woman that was the technician there, you know, things got all set up. We're lying there. My wife's there, and she's there. She reaches down, she takes off the, the towel, she grabs my penis, she points it in the direction she wants it to go, not saying a word, and, uh-huh. and then puts the towel back and I said, now you did that for yourself the rest of the time. And I'm, I was like, well, you could have just told me. And she goes, I find it's easier to do it that way because <laughs> you remember it. And I go, oh, yeah, my yeah, wife I'll, burst out laughing. I'll remember that, I'll remember yes. remember that. And I've had a, yeah, so... Uh, so we went through that process, and I, I swear by it, it gave me six years. They originally gave me three to five years to live, but this this totally uh, 
got rid of the cancer. And then I had to go in and get conventional radiation. And they call it the brotherhood of the balloon when, when you're getting the conventional radiation. This is the embarrassing part mm -hmm. for all men anywhere. Mm -hmm. They put a balloon in your rectum and they fill it with water to Whoa. expand it because they figure that it'll, the radiation will only get a smaller portion to attack your, your colons because they don't want it to, because radiation travels. And I ended up getting it in my bladder and that's caused problems to this day. But uh, yeah, that's a lot of fun getting 16 ounces of water in your colon <laughs> and then when they let it go you, you feel like oh man everything's gonna go and one day during this process like it's you know month month long you're, you're in there with the same guys in this you know for and uh, you see every day going through the guys in front of you and the new guys coming behind you in your time frame and there's this gentleman we all came in sweats most everybody is in sweats or really casual wear and this one gentleman always came impeccably dressed Thing. I heard he was a, a chemist of some sort. And one day, all of a sudden, they, they stopped and we had, to, we had to go to another, they had three of them, we had to go to another bay to get serviced. And it took a lot longer because apparently when they took his balloon out, everything else did come out. And so they have to sanitize everything again all up. And we all have this fear. We, every day we had this fear that that's, we're gonna have this happen to us. And it just had to happen to this man who was impeccably dressed, always very meticulous about taking care of himself. Mm. We never saw him again. He changed his time so he, he wouldn't have the embarrassment of seeing us. <laughs> well, that's, that's rugged. So um, what I want to explore is, is the fears. So you mentioned that everybody felt but didn't likely express the fear that they were gonna lose more than uh, 16 ounces of water when, when that burst. Yeah, we didn't, nobody expressed it until it happened. Uh huh. And when it finally happened, then we all, we're all just sitting there going, man, I hope that doesn't happen to me. I just hope, I pray. I mean, you literally see us when we get done. When I first got there, I thought it was funny because you wear the, it's a, it's a college teaching hospital. So you have all these college students Mm -hmm. And you see these old guys walking, they're walking back and they're just leaving their open and they're just walking with all their junk hanging out. And you, I go, man, I can't, I can't see how these guys can do that. And uh, but when you get out, and this, is, this is what really irritated all of us, is they put the bathroom like way down the hall from the, from the tech room from where you get radiated. Right. And so you had to run down and you're, and you're squeezing tight to keep everything in there while you're trying to get there. So yeah, it's a, it's, yeah, it was, that was the biggest fear, and that's what they call it, the Brotherhood of the Balloon, and they did have a, I, I guess, sessions to help you get through all the, all that you're going through, you know, mm -hmm. the fact that you might lose your sexuality, you know, and, uh, but with proton therapy, I had no side effects. With radiation, I had a ton of side effects. And it bought you quite a bit of time. Bought, bought me all together. It bought me uh, first six years and then two more years. And then I had surgery and that gave me another two years. And then and I had, I had to, go to go on finally, finally on the hormone, hormone therapy, therapy, which is the worst. worst. That's, That's what I was, what I was trying, trying to avoid more than anything is the hormone therapy. Yeah. What, are, what are your fears associated with the hormone therapy? therapy? My, my wife would leave me. One of the guys, one of the guys was talking, he said, yeah, my wife left me. Which she said, I don't, she said, I, 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 don't, I don't want to ruin my husband. 
side effects from that is um, it's like being it's chemical castration. That's the crudest way to put it. Mm -hmm. Chemically castrated. Right. You don't really uh, you lose a lot of desire to do things. Mm -hmm. uh, you lose a lot of energy. You lose muscle mass because you don't have any testosterone in your system. You know, when I was an athlete my whole life, and on all of a sudden I can't do things that you know, I guess that happens to everybody when you get older. I'm older now, so but when I was you know younger and I was still com playing competitive basketball, you could see things dropping off really fast, and uh, you just lose your desire for a lot of things. You have to just you have to keep telling yourself to go. I found myself just literally just stopping, and I realized, oh, well, why am I stopped when I'm walking somewhere? And I just have to keep going. You lose your desire to even keep walking. Yeah. I, I think that's profound, that your fear associated with uh, losing the ability to have sex is that you're going to lose your wife. Uh, and it's also profound that it actually happened to somebody. Right. Um, what were your fears? Uh, let's, let's go back to the day when you found out you had cancer. Uh, you probably had the thought of, you know, I'm going to die, but that was probably not your only thought. What were your other fears? Uh, what was going through your head at that moment? The most thing is I wouldn't see my children get married. Uh -huh. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be around to see grandchildren at 47 because we married late. I was 30 when we got married. She was 29. Uh -huh. I'm a second husband. And I'm, that was, I was engaged. Uh, basically, I was, I'm a second uh, what. Yeah, she's my she's a second wife to me somewhat, um, but so we we're married late, and we're just I, that was one of the big fears that I wouldn't see my children uh, grow up and get married and have children, see grandchildren. I wouldn't have that experience, and I my family's very close. We're and when I found first found out, you know, I was heading up to my parents, and I didn't want to talk to my mom. I'm my mom. She's she's incredible. She's, we just had her 90th birthday, and she's we had over 250 people showed up for my mom's birthday party. Mm -hmm. And but my dad was the he's the solid one. He's very solid, very uh -huh. quiet man, but good man. He was in a the Vishabrick for what was it 13 years of my life growing up from uh, from three different bishops. But uh, one of the best men I ever knew, and a quiet man. And I said, hey, Dad, let's go for a walk. And I told my dad, I just need that reassurance from my dad that it was going to be okay. And, uh, and of course, my mom comes in and says, what's going on? Why aren't you telling me? <laughs> so <laughs> we ended up telling my mother, too. That's, uh, that's one of my questions is when you had that, uh, that moment of, oh, my gosh, I've got cancer, uh, who did you talk to? So first you talked to your dad. Talked to my dad. Then your mom prayed it out of you. right. At some point, everybody knew because probably your wife told everybody. But what happened next? Well, we didn't tell them our kids because we didn't want to tell the kids at Christmas. You right. Because they were younger. The ironic thing is my daughter used my cancer and got a grant out of it. <laughs> She's an amazing writer. She's a very smart child. <laughs> uh, but uh, I didn't really want people to know. I really didn't. Uh, and why is that? Because I don't want people looking. Oh, poor Howard. Oh, he's oh poor Howard. He's you know he's got cancer. Oh, oh poor Howard. Oh, oh you know. Uh -huh. But anyway, uh, and in my business, I really didn't want people to know. Uh -huh. Got a camera with cancer, 
You know, I didn't want I didn't want people to know. And unfortunately, my wife, no, my wife, my mother told my siblings. And my sibling, one of my siblings told my best friends that I grew up with. I'm still, like you are friends with Mark. Mm-hmm. And the guys that I played sports with all from junior high up up through our high school years and then beyond in some capacities. Uh, she told them, and I'm like, oh, freak. I don't want these guys knowing I've got cancer. You know, it's... And they, they, they all, you know, we all went to dinner. We all used to get together a couple times a year, and, and we still try to. I, I ride a motorcycle, and I've got a couple of my friends still ride bikes, so we get together once in a while, take bike rides, but motorcycle rides. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we all got together, and then they, you know, I'm working. I'm still working, you know, making money. We're doing okay, you know. And uh, and they, they all chipped in to buy my meal, and I'm like, oh. Last thing you wanted is have your meal bought. That's the thing, yeah. And I'm like, oh, crap. And so, yeah, and then. So you. um, So now I've been kind of vocal about it. Because if if people know, then fine. I'm going to talk to them and talk to them about, about, okay, I can either. You know, okay, I'll be honest with you right now. I, I get down. I really get down sometimes. Um, But. Talk to me about one of those. Describe one of those down moments for me. Where are you at? What are you feeling? What does it look like? Well, the older I get, it's different because now I've I've got other issues that I'm dealing with. Uh, it gets to the point when you can't do things when and that you want to do. And it's so frustrating, and you're feeling sorry for yourself. Oh me, you know. But then, um, and you do. You think, okay, if. If I died, I won't be a burden to my family, to my wife. Right. You know, so I'm, do I time it out? When do I? So when do, you know, and I didn't get to increase my life insurance. That was the biggest bummer. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, you're, oh, no, you can't increase it. You have to keep the one you've got. And I was like, okay, great. It's not, it's not nearly enough that I wanted to have. So um, it, okay, now this is a gospel thing, okay? I don't. Go for it. Gospel is the church has become very important to me. We're all about a, being authentic, so you be well, you. There was a time when I was out of the church for ten years, uh-huh. and it was a road back, a road back well earned. And I've just had so many things happen to me that I can't deny it now. Even though my daughter's left um, the church I belong to, so she just with the gospel in itself, where I have this mantra. That, you know, I have first world problems. My problems are first world. Cancer is a first world problem. Yeah, for me, you know, for somebody who can't get treatment, it's a third world problem. Uh I've had the best treatment in the world. I get the best. It's kept me alive because the second treatment, the third treatment I got wasn't available when I first got it. But Loma Linda and proton therapy was. It's at the Huntsman now. And when I first... When it first came out, it was that. So I recommend anybody who has cancer and it's still contained, go get proton therapy. Uh-huh. Huntsman. If you're here in Utah, you're California, go to Loma Linda. And it's in Indiana now. So anyway. You mentioned that uh, you get down. Yeah, I get down. Uh, paint that picture for me. Well, remember when I said I, yeah, I stop? Uh-huh. In those moments of stopping. Okay. 
I th- I go on there and all of a sudden I'll start thinking, oh, I've got all this stuff I've got to get done. I've got to do this. I got to, and you can't get yourself to do it. And I said, if I can't get away, so you fight through that. And it, when you start feeling sorry, for, I start feeling sorry for myself. I remember that that crap happens to everybody, and how you deal with it determines your character. And so that's what, that's what my mom would say to me as well. Uh, when I was younger and not not doing things I was supposed to be doing, she uh-huh. she would say she would say, uh, "What kind of character do you really want to have, Howard? What do you want to be known for?" And so um, that 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 brings me out of it, out of that slump, out of that. Okay, constantly. Okay, if I was to to commit suicide, how would I do it? You know, I haven't really got to the point where I really want to do it or anything, but. But I, I've contemplated on how I would do it, and how I do is probably drive my motorcycle off a cliff. That's what I've decided. But because you know, yeah, it's kind of cool. That was that was my method. I was going to get a nice sports car, topless sports car, one that could really do those mountain curves. Right. <laughs> yeah, and I was, you know, yeah. So, but uh, yeah, that's and what do I want my family to remember me? How do they want me as, as a guy that? just sat down and took it or a guy that whined about it oh you know i, I, I don't like whiners and, I, and i've become a whiner in some point i'll admit i've had all those down things where i've whined about it i've cried about it but and uh and my wife sees it and she she won't let me stay there either yeah the uh i think it comes down to to the character you describe uh you know, do you want to be known for the sports car that you took off the edge of the cliff? You want right. you want to be known for resigning and uh, melting into the couch until you're not breathing anymore. You know, is that the character you want to leave behind? Right. For the kids. Then it just got worse after the cancer. I developed um, deep vein thrombosis in my left leg, all the way from my crotch to my ankle. Mm-hmm. You know, I was on a shoot and I'm trying to. I was on a dolly trying to do this video, and they're moving me around. And I couldn't even do that. And finally, it said, "You got to take me." And I thought I had bronchitis because my back was hurting, and I was coughing. And it turns out that it, I had uh, deep vein thrombosis, and then in my lungs, I had blood clots all throughout four quadrants of my lungs. And I remember I'm a pretty chatty guy, and I remember when I went with the doctor, "You got to get in and get an MRI done, and then a." Uh, ultrasound, and I was getting the MRI, and they wheeled me. I walked in, but they made me get in a wheelchair, and they wheeled me across the hall to get the ultrasound. And the technician, a young blonde, and I'm talking to her, and I'm hearing this thing on my right leg going, you hear going, your blood going, your blood, she's going down my leg with the ultrasound. Mm-hmm. She goes to my left leg, and there's nothing, nothing, nothing. And I get to my knee, and I go, I'm not hearing that whoosh, whoosh sound. That can't be good. And she starts to cry. This technician starts to cry. And she goes all the way to my ankle, and then she says, get up, you can get dressed, and get in your wheelchair, and a a doctor will come and see you. Wait out in the hall with your wife. She came in, and and the doctor shows up, and and just as he showed up, I get up, I'm thirsty. I walk over to get a drink, and he's looking at his chart, and he's looking at his iPad, and he says, I don't know how you're standing. He says, you've got blood clots all through your lungs, all through the quadrants of your lungs. He said, we're taking you to the ICU right now. And I was like, freak? I thought I had bronchitis and so funky with my leg. That's all. And uh, so they go in there, they give you the shot in the stomach, they do all this stuff. And, and 
Catherine's in the chair. It's late at night now. She's in the chair, sleeping in there with me. And I'm lying there, and it's hard to sleep. And they're telling you, okay. And the new doctors come in about 5 o'clock. The new doctor and the nurse. And they're looking at the computer. They're talking, checking on the computer. And the nurse comes in. They think I'm asleep, and I'm just lying there watching them. And she says, is he going to make it? And I go, what do you mean am I going to make it? <laughs> <laughs> and she, she comes over and says, oh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's going to be fine. It's gonna. And the doctor says, well, you made it through the night, so that's a good sign. And I, I had no clue I was that close to dying. He said, I found out later that most people who have had that die. thing about it is I had a blessing that night before. A good friend came in, and not Mark, another good friend had come in and, and gave me a blessing. Mark's given me a lot of blessings through the years, by the way. Uh-huh. That, yeah. So um, I, I kind of put that on that blessing because they were astounded that I was still alive in this ICU thing. And they couldn't. So anyway, we got that treated. And then I've had, enough, I've had a second round of that just uh, two years ago. And then I got the blessing from Mark two years ago. And then the worst of all that's happened because of the radiation and everything else, uh, this is the most embarrassing part. I'm, I'm good with embarrassing. I got um, a UTI, u- urinary tract infection. I didn't even know guys could get them. And I, it was last October. Oh, I got COVID and had spent two days at the hospital doing that, too. That was a fun three mm. weeks of my life. Yeah. But anyway... I got this UTI in October, and I still have it to this day. I've had two surgeries trying to correct it. I've gone through five different, um, five different uh, antibiotic things. They're trying to work with it, get it solved down, and um, it's partially related to all the treatments that's gone on to my with my prostate. What's happened is calcium has built up on the inside of my prostate. They can't clean it out. Mm-hmm. Most of it, but they can't get all of it. And it's causing this urinary tract infection, which causes, uh, well, the pain and stuff that I can deal with with medication. But then with the second surgery, when I got to go, I got to go. There's no, okay, you've got, originally this is how it was too when I first got my radiation treatment too, but I lived next to a bathroom. I had 10 seconds. Now when you got to go, I had two seconds. Oh, so man. what do you do? You have to wear a depends of some sort. Uh-huh. And in my line of work, I'm running a camera. Sometimes we have sessions three, four hours long. And I'm trying to preempt. I preempt everywhere I go for the most part. I try to preempt this so I don't have to deal with it. But that's more than anything, That more than the cancer, more than anything, that has got me down more than anything. That is the one hardest thing that's happened to you. Of all the things. It's not life-threatening, mm-hmm. but it's, it's Took away your- altering and it's... Do you feel like uh, that's a big deal because it took away your man card? It took a lot of my man card away. You know, and I, you know, and I'm in constant contact. And, uh, <coughs> they were hoping that the second surgery would alleviate most of it, but it just exacerbated it in some form. They found out that I've got... Uh, I, my cancer is spread now. It's in my uh, rib cage. Yeah, it's in my sternum. It's in my neck. It's it was in my coccyx and right hip, and my right hip was hurting so bad that we did we had two months ago, three months ago, we did radiation on my 
hip and coccyx to alleviate that pain. Um, and they put me on a new drug, which is <laughs> basically the same thing. Uh, cuts off my testosterone, and, and uh, they just did all the tests that they do on me, and I've lost 20% of my muscle mass and 10% uh, of my bone mass. So you know, I've had to tighten up my watch. Is that funny? Wow. I used to have five. Now I'm on three. It used to be five. So anyway, <clears throat> that's, yeah. that's the hardest thing for me to face. And the most embarrassing thing for me to face is that right now. And I have to keep thinking, okay. This is still... How am I going to deal with this? You know? Do yeah. I quit work? You know? And I don't want to do that. That's... Uh, so here's an impossible question. Uh, and a standard one for me. I, I, I go hunting for the lowest point in your life. <clears throat> and I think you've already told me what that was. And then the next question is... How did that serve you? How did that benefit you? Okay, I lied to you. So that, that's, a, that's not the lowest point. Okay. I didn't lie to you. I just didn't tell you the lowest point. And not, right. Not many people know this. So I'm like, okay, when I said I was out of the church for 10 years, I got kicked out there. I was excommunicated. Uh-huh. And uh, that was the lowest point of my life, by far, because uh, I was on my mission. Okay. And got excommunicated. And so it was hard on my parents, hard on my, hard on my family. Um, do you know how hard it is to, to, to date LDS girls or they find out you're excommunicated? <laughs> um, I remember they, they knew it was happening. And they actually, when I was flying back from Scotland, my mother's from Scotland, and so that's why they sent me. But they... They, they did something that I had an escort the whole way mm -hmm. to make sure I got on the plane, that I seated on the plane. There was somebody waiting for me when I got off in New York. Uh, and they put me in a waiting room to make sure that I, you know, didn't go off and try to kill myself or something. And so I remember looking out the window in New York. This is, you know, I'm 20 years old, 21 years old. Right. And I'm looking out the window of New York, never been there. I'm thinking, wouldn't it be better for me just to get out and not face this, not go home and face this, just and get, out, get lost get lost in New York. Right. And because I, I ditched my handler, <laughs> uh -huh. so I could have done it. But then something told me that that'd be the coward's way out. And that'd be the coward's way out. And the only way that I really survived this is my mom was, she was, she was very angry with me. She was embarrassed, totally embarrassed my mother to death. My dad's in the bishopric still, or he might have been in the high council by then. And here their son is, you know, the only son that went on a mission. There's four of us, and I'm the only one that went. Uh -huh. And then this is what happened. And um, my dad, you know, he was... When he got home, he went. He, he took me again for another. I took him for a walk when I got the cancer, and then, and then he took me for a walk when we got home. I mean, my whole family showed up when I got on the plane. They all they were all very supportive of me. My mother was angry with me, but they they showed up at the airport to pick me up. There's all, all five of my siblings, and uh, he took me for a walk, and 
he said, he said, Howard, I've been praying for you, and I, I, you more than all my sons. He said, okay, brothers, if you're listening to this, uh -huh. he said, uh, he says, I know you're going to be all right. And I was like, what? <laughs> all my other brothers are stalwart, amazing guys, you know, and here I am, uh, uh, and he said, "You're gonna be, you're gonna be all right. I'm not worrying about you one day. Not one day am I worrying about you." And uh, that's the right words. Yeah, and uh, I keep, I think about that. And it still took me ten years to crawl back in. I studied world religions to see maybe should I go to, but uh, no. The, so how did that moment serve you? It made me non-suicidal. That's okay. my lowest point. When I was thinking, okay, I could, I'd rather die than do this to my family. Then I kept thinking, well, I've already done it to my family. Dying's just going to make it worse. And my dad telling me they're going to be okay. My dad had that much confidence, I like to say faith in me, that he had that uh, much. Um, made me want to live up to it. I'm glad you had your dad. Yeah, I have a, as I say, I have an amazing dad. I was lucky to have, lucky, I was blessed. And I'm blessed to have the mom I have too. I love her. She's right. A, but my dad, I'm blessed to have the father I had. Had you not had your dad and your mom, who would you have gone to? No one was in Fico were my friends. And uh, they were very supportive. Would you have gone to your friends for well, this? They were all on missions. <laughs> They were all out there on their mission still. Uh -huh. I did go to a, a a guy who we were never friends before. He's a year older, uh -huh. and uh, but we started. He he'd come back from his mission, and so he was there in the ward. He's closest to my age. Uh, most of the I was the only one my age in my ward that went on a mission, and mm -hmm. my at my particular age group. Right. There were five of us, and I was the only one that went. And uh, they had stopped coming, going to church when I came back. They were gone. So there was just I mean, Brad. I could say his name, Brad. He was there. And uh, we. I actually paid him back for being my friend, I guess, and sticking with me by introducing him to his wife. Nice. That's a good payback. Yeah. Um, so. I wouldn't have gone to my bishop. I'm sorry, I wouldn't have. Yeah. I the bishop at that time. He, he was, I mean, I had to go in and, and interview with him, but in some form or other. But I wouldn't have, I didn't say a word to him that in any any form, so. So, true to uh, the narrative for any man, I think you, uh, you're lucky you had your dad. Uh, take that away. I didn't have that relationship with my dad. I'm sorry. Uh, I, <clears throat> I think that... There, there came a time when he recognized he had no relationship with me. His only role in the family was to be the executioner. Oh. Um, and so, and I've told this on this podcast a number of times, but really while I was in the house, his only role, uh, he recognized that he had um, no relationship. So he got football tickets, BYU football tickets, <clears throat> and took me to those. But... 
as far as talking about anything, you know, the only conversations we had were how to get to the football stadium and how to get back. Oh, wow. Uh, superficial. But that's the best he could do. You know, I'm not blaming him. He, that was, that was what he could do. Uh, that was the best he had and he gave it to me. So, so be it. Mm -hmm. Um, <clears throat> so you're lucky you had your dad. If you didn't, I think you'd, um, you'd be more like the rest of us that had nobody and went to nobody and just suffered in your own juice. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I didn't discuss things with Brad. He was just there as a friend. I didn't say, we didn't, I didn't tell him how I felt. I didn't do any of that. Um, I don't, you know, I didn't want to share any of that. The most ironic thing is I had another friend when, who had come back from his mission, not a real friend, a guy I played football with. Uh -huh. And he was talking to me, and he was telling me about other guys that had the same experience that I had, I thought. Uh -huh. And he's saying, yeah, he, and I find out later he was talking about me. And I go, none of that happened to me. I didn't, that, did, that wasn't me. And I go, Are, is everybody thinking that's what I did? You know, and he goes, well, that's what I heard. I go, no, no, that's not what happened. None of that happened to me. You know, and he goes, well, what did happen? And, uh, but that, that shocked me. That really shocked me. I've ha I had fathers that when, you know, we're in college, that, I, that would actually come up to me and ask me not to date their daughters. <laughs> I'm going to go back to, um, your lowest point medically. Okay. It's about a month ago. What did you learn and how did it serve you? What, why is that a blessing for you? Yeah, you're the only person I've, that knows this. And my family knows a little bit. My mother knows a little bit. They don't know the extent. I don't want them to know the extent. Because now I've got all these things. I'm dealing with the cancer spreading. I'm dealing with my... UTI. I still have to deal with uh, uh, with uh, blood clots. You know, I take medication for that. And I guess what it is, it gives me empathy for other people who have who are in this situation. I've I've heard now that my sister has been dealing with it. I didn't know that, but now my brother told me. He's, I'm sure she didn't want me to know, but he he travels with him a little bit. My little brother travels with my sister. Because uh, her husband and my little brother get along really well. And, and he found out that she's dealing with a, a UTI that just won't go away either. And then he finally, he just called me last week. And he said, I'm starting to feel for you, Howard. I've got this UTI. And he said, it's the worst. And I'm like, yeah, yeah I know. It's not fun, is it? <laughs> but uh, mine is, they said it's going to be chronic now because of the uh the, the the damage that's been done to my prostate through all the treatments and because it's had ridges on it and so calcium's just going to keep building up there. So I'm like, yes, I'm excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> I just try to, I just try to, it, it, to be honest with you, I get to the point where I can either cry or laugh and I've decided to laugh. When it's, when it's really that bad, I'm telling you, I've had some moments where it could, it was like, could have been, it was the absolute worst. And I thought, oh, you got to be kidding. And instead of screaming and throwing something and or whatever, I just started to laugh. And the laughing got me through it. And I said, wow, 
that's when, that's what I'm going to do from now on. When this happens, I'm going to just if something gets to me so bad, I'm going to try to laugh through it. And you know, the funny thing is, that I I saw that too on uh, <laughs> a television, a stupid television show where all these bad things are happening to this guy. He's a bad guy, and the absolutely worst happened to him at the very end. And then he just started to laugh. He said, "What else can go wrong?" And that's where I'm at now. I go, "What else? What else going? What else going to happen to me?" You know, so. I, I just, now I laugh. I laugh when I can instead of cry. Oh, and this is another thing. I, I watched my dad die of prostate cancer. Oh. That was the hardest thing to go through. And I was so angry at him because he was 85, and he's, he had, he developed, he's always been strong. Enough. I mean, this guy got ran over, get up and walk home. He got run over by a snowmobile, tipped over on ATV, and gets up and walks home. And I'm like freak you know man's invincible yeah he's well he's a big strong guy you know he, he was never fat at all because he's built like you and you know i got my other brothers are built like you too i got the skinny mom thing my five foot skinny mom <laughs> that was me so <clears throat> but he wouldn't he took he had they put him on the hormone therapy he took the one shot and it causes anxiety too it gives you a lot of anxiety I, you know, and I've always been a happy-go-lucky guy. And all of a sudden, I got anxiety through this. He, when the anxiety hit him, he said, I'll never go through that again. He didn't, he, he's, he's such a stalwart, strong character. He, did, he didn't know how to handle anxiety. And so he wouldn't take it. And so he said, I'd rather, I've, he said, 85, I've lived my life. I've been on two missions. Uh, I've got a wonderful family. I've done everything I wanted to do in life. So he didn't, the anxiety he just said no, and I was so angry at him that he let that he decided to go away from me. Uh huh. That he left me. And uh, yeah, that was that was pretty hard. But every you know everybody goes through that with someone they love. Yes, we do. Yeah, we uh, none of us gets a free pass to uh, through life. Um, if you were talking to a younger version of you and you can decide how much younger maybe it's yesterday maybe it's 40 years ago okay what's your advice well it's kind of like what i've already said to you uh one determine who you really want to be uh-huh um how you want uh, determine uh, how you want to treat people what do you like, i used to have this mantra you know, used to. I'm saying used to. Uh-huh. I said, hey, if I'm suffering, I want everybody around me suffering too. You know, I want to, I want them to join in the suffering. And, uh, you know, totally avoid that. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, just realize that crap happens to everybody and you just decide how you want to deal with it. Do you want to, you want to cry and whine and, Blame? Who am I supposed to blame on this? Uh-huh. You know, my ancestors, my DNA. Found out my blood clots probably come from, I have 2.4% Jewish in me. Uh-huh. And apparently the Ashkenazi Jews are predominantly, that's a factor that they have. It's called factor five. It gives you propensity for blood clots. My sister has it. My two sisters have it. I have it. Um, do I blame blame all those Jews? Come on. <laughs> or... Uh, my cancer, they found out that it's unique. I didn't get it from my dad. I can't pass it on. I didn't inherit it. It's very unique. They've done all these tests on me. 
Uh, so I'm like, okay, do I blame God? And I go, no, I can't blame God because I chose to come here. And my belief system, I chose to come here knowing that, that you stuff would, was going to happen. Right. That I was going to go through stuff like everybody goes through stuff. I see people and I go, how come nothing's happened to them? You know, you see these rich guys and you go, man, they've got it made. You know, then nothing ever happens to them. And you find out later, yeah, stuff happens. <laughs> you don't think things are happening, but yeah. Um, y y there's nobody to blame. It's just, the, it's just being here, being a human. And so be the kind of human you really want to be, the kind of person you want, you want people to remember you by. Hey, thank you for listening to this Manalizing podcast. I appreciate it. You know, I don't go hunting for men with big stories and big issues to deal with. I find that pretty much any man that I talk to, he's going to have a story. If you're inspired by what you hear, here's my invitation. Join us. Join Manalizing. Manalizing.com. Lift and be lifted. Help other men and allow other men to help you. Let's do this together. We look forward to meeting you. Manalizing.com. Thank you.